If you're still putting weird things on pizza, there are four ninjas who are specifically to blame. Self-defense, self-awareness, self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of philelmore.com and themartialist.net. Today, let's talk about something that it's near and dear to my heart, not because it was an integral part of my childhood, but because it was part of the childhood of my younger brother. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember vividly taking my younger brother and sister uh, to, to a movie theater to see the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Um, the theater was not in our town. Our town at one time had two movie theaters. One of them was a, an entire double movie cineplex. There were two different theaters inside the building. And one of them was a historic old uh, formerly theater that had like a balcony. And it was this beautiful old building that had bats in it by the time I used to go there. I saw a couple movies there. I saw, uh, there's a, it's like a Christian movie about a woman who gets paralyzed and devotes her life to evangelizing for God. And I think it's called like Johnny or Bobby or a single person name. It's been a while, been a long time. For whatever reason, I remember seeing that movie in the theater. I saw, I believe I saw Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan in that theater, this ancient uh, historic theater that goes back to when it was an actual theater theater and not a movie theater. Um, the balcony was so old and rickety that nobody was allowed up there. It wasn't safe. Um, and I remember seeing Star Trek II in that theater with my mother when I was a child. <laughs> I'd have to do the math on the release date to figure out how old I was. But, you know, Star Trek II gets a little visceral when we're doing the whole ear slug thing. And I remember my mom was seriously thinking about walking out of the theater. I'm glad she didn't because Star Trek II turned out to be just an incredible film once you get past that that grossness star trek's always had this weird flirtation with the gross i'm way off topic here uh that that theater the capitol theater burned to the ground at some point in a fire that was so intense it twisted the the metal beams that were used in the construction of the building so i think this was either during the time when there was maybe just the one theater in our hometown or maybe there was no theaters because there was a time when the double theater closed down and there was a gap before a modern multiple theater movie plex opened up right in the middle of town. So for whatever reason, I had to get into my Chevy Caprice. Uh, I was in college at the time. I was probably home on vacation. Uh, and I took my brother and sister to the movie theater a couple of towns over to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and I don't know if you if you don't remember when that movie came out it was a big deal especially among the tween and teen crowd that movie was a huge affair for for that age group i remember when we got there we went into the movie and we saw the movie and you know i, I liked it just fine it was a kind of an enjoyable experience uh and to take your own younger brother and sister to a movie is kind of fun you, you really feel like um you know, suddenly, wow, I'm I'm the grown-up here. I remember the first time they drove away in a car by themselves with my sister driving, and then I thought, I just feel old now. But anyway, we saw the movie. We come out of the theater, and there is a line to see this movie that stretches the length of the front of the building. This huge line of people waiting to get in. Because remember, this was back in the day where you went to the theater and bought your ticket and took your chances. There was no reserved seating. There was no calling ahead. There was no buying your ticket on the internet. Nothing. You just 
You showed up, you got in line, and if you got in, you got in. And I remember the theater being crowded when we saw it. I remember there not being any free seats. I think we probably got there fairly early because that's always been how I am. I'm a big movie hound, and I usually get to the theater. I'm, I'm one of those people that if I'm not early, I'm late. Those are the only two options for me. So we see this movie, and my brother, probably for the rest of his life, enjoys weird things on pizza. And, and it was because the, the Turtles did that. You know, there was the tie-in television show. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think he was ever, I don't think he ever read the comic books. I never did either. I know the comics are a lot more serious and a, and a lot more dark. But, uh, you know, the whole Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles eating weird things on pizza stuff really kind of stuck with my, my brother. Now, for me, what stuck with me was the martial arts weapons of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I'm not going to say that that this... Uh, movie inspired me to be into the martial arts because it didn't. This was sort of just, it came along while I was already interested. But uh, when I was, I think it was the summer, the summer before I went to college, uh, this was back in the days when VHS movie rentals were a viable thing. And I remember as a graduation gift from high school, my uncle got me a, like a $50 gift card, which back in the day was a lot of movies. Got me a $50 gift card for uh, the the local uh, whatever, you know, mom and pop video shop. And I rented out every single karate and kung fu action film that was available in that joint. Now, this was, again, I think this was the summer before I went to college, but it might have also been the summer after I went to college, or maybe it was both. I don't remember. Um, but I had, you know, I had an interest in karate that was kind of channeled through karate action films. And when I went to college as a freshman, I took karate for the first time and uh what sticks with you when you watch those action movies it's not necessarily the karate moves it's not necessarily the kicking and the punching although that's certainly part of it it's the weapons so i bought a copy of uh ted gambardella's karate weapons book i think it was called might have been called mastering karate weapons something like that and that book was all about things like nunchucks and other uh, weapons, some of which are part of the Ninja Turtles repertoire, you know, and, and I'm not a big enough fan to be able to tell you which guy has which weapons, but the traditional Ninja Turtle weapons are you've got the Sai, you've got the bow, which is the staff, you've got the nunchucks, or nunchaku if we want to be formal, uh, and then we've got uh, uh, the katana, and of all of those weapons, I like. I always had an interest in swords, and I would later go on to write uh, one of the more infamous books on swords on the market. But at the time, it wasn't the sword primarily that interested me. It was the other stuff, the the sigh and the nunchucks and the staff. You know, you see it the first time you see a guy spinning a staff, you just find that you like you're like I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. Um, the first time you see a guy spinning sigh. You're like, I want to know how that's done. I remember it was Richard Norton as the villain in the movie Jim Cotta, where he's, <laughs> there's a scene where they're like, they're having dinner before the big murderous gymnastics event that is Jim Cotta. And uh, Richard Norton does a little display with his, with the scythe that he carries and he's being all menacing and he's spinning them around in his hand. And that's what got me. I looked at that and I'm like, how is he doing that? I want to know how he is spinning those. And I, of course, I've since learned how that technique is done. There's the flipping of the sigh, which is one maneuver. And then there's, 
if, if the psi are big enough that you can get your hand in between the times and you can actually spin them and, and do some really cool looking stuff. And there's different ways to spin different weapons. Like the Sayak Kali people will, will spin knives uh, in their hands by using like a knot on the wrapping on the handle as a pivot point and just sort of spinning them in their palms. And I believe you can see that done in that Tommy Lee Jones movie, The Hunted, not to be confused with the Christopher Lambert movie, The Hunted, which is all about Christopher Lambert versus uh, a clan of ninja. <laughs> Maybe we should do a whole thing on martial arts movies at some point because there are so many cool martial arts movies. Um, but anyway... The, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, you know, I remember looking at those weapons and, and just being inspired, and that was one of many influences. Um, but for whatever reason, memory of going to that movie and the weapons that the turtles carried has always kind of stuck in my, my brain. Um, and I taught myself many karate weapons initially. I taught myself nunchucks using foam nunchucks, and they still really hurt. <laughs> When you hit yourself in the groin, when you don't know what you're doing. Many, many years later, when I was working with a teacher who actually knew how to use them, I asked him, can I show you some stuff and can you tell me if I'm getting this right? And he made one small adjustment in terms of where I was bringing the nunchucks down when I was swinging through. But other than that, he's like, yes, you've got it. This is how it's done. So that was kind of a, a nice and affirming at the time. But let's look at each one of the Ninja Turtle weapons in terms of its viability as a weapon. You know how I feel about swords because I've written an entire book on swords, the basic mechanics of using a sword. A sword is a very powerful weapon. Um, it's a great home defense weapon. It's a great car weapon if you can legally carry something like that with you. And the thing about swords is they're also machetes. A machete is a short sword. So if you're not into carrying a more purpose-made sword and you don't want to feel like you just stepped out of a renaissance fair you just throw a machete in the trunk and you've got an extremely powerful weapon it's my understanding that machete attacks happen really out of wild proportion to crime rates in cities like london where guns are harder to get not impossible but harder anyway because they don't have our tradition of of gun rights and gun ownership um and i'm not trying to make anybody mad there will be no more ardent defender of gun rights than me but just be honest with yourself. Yes, we have a much stronger tradition of gun rights in the United States. There are many more firearms here. Therefore, there's lots of legal guns and there's lots of illegal guns. In a, in a city like London, which is beset by violent crime, uh, they don't have as many, uh, they don't have hardly any legal guns. There may be some exceptions among the rich and powerful. But the guns they do have are illegal and they do have those. They don't have as many of them as we do, but they've got them. So knives and, and uh, other weapons are also similarly controlled. I mean, self-defense is all but illegal in the UK. And when I say that, people from the UK get very angry with me, but it's true. I mean, Canada basically just outlawed self-defense. The, the prime minister there said that self-defense is not a right. You don't have any right to own a firearm for self-defense, according to that idiot. Um, so when you think about it, what do people rely on? They rely on the next best thing. If I can't get a firearm and I want a deadly weapon, well, it tells you something when the criminals are relying out of proportion on things like machetes. It tells you that they understand the power of that weapon. So swords and or machetes will take them pretty much uh, as synonymous. Those are extremely powerful weapons. And fortunately for you and me, if you're listening to this in the United States, they're relatively legal. Now, I know there's some cities that actually uh, have made machetes illegal or placed restrictions on them. I think Boston is one of those cities because they were having big gang problems. Uh, the machete is kind of the preferred weapon of gangs like MS-13. So there have been some urban centers where 
there really is very little demand for machetes as an agricultural tool, um, where they're seeing lots of crime with machetes, and so they've clamped down on them because the the standard knee-jerk politician response to crime is, oh, the criminals are using such and such, let's make that illegal. That attitude actually is responsible for a lot of weirdnesses in like the penal code in, in New York State, where you couldn't own things like nunchucks and gravity knives and uh, throwing stars, or I think they even called them like kung fu stars in the penal code. Um, basically anything cool you can't own. Anything that was popular during the 70s kung fu boom and might have been in the pocket of some gang member somewhere, anything like that was was made illegal. I believe there was a court case that made nunchucks legal again in New York. I think some guy spent years fighting to make nunchucks legal again in New York State, and I want to say that he succeeded. I also think, and this is where it gets weird, because I stay up on these laws pretty much all the time, and I, I had a weird encounter at a at a flea market where somebody was playing with a, a stun gun. And, you know, it's the, that unmistakable noise when they're, when they're discharging the stun gun in the air. And I, I talked to her. I said, you know those are illegal, right? Like, if you get caught, you could get in trouble. And she got really mad. And I don't blame her because I think she thought I was trying to kill her sales or something, and I wasn't. I was actually expressing my surprise at what I thought was very much an illegal weapon here in New York and that if some cop came wandering through, she'd get in trouble. Well, at the time, I thought her reaction was just defensiveness. I've since learned that there may actually be case law that means you can possess a stun gun in New York, but I don't know that. I'm not sure, and I don't know who to ask. It's very confused. I read something somewhere, I don't know if it was a newspaper article or some other thing, indicating that there was some movement on stun gun law in New York. Like, pepper spray is legal to carry here, but it's almost like the cops don't know that. We passed a law in New York that specifically made pepper spray legal, and then... Uh, I had a friend who got hassled really badly for carrying pepper spray when uh, she encountered the police. So I don't know why. There's, it's almost like the police pretty much do their own thing and, uh, you know, they'll let the court sort it out if they're wrong. And it's your job to know what's legal and what's not legal. And then even then, you might still be briefly in trouble or temporarily in trouble. It's hard to be an advocate for self-defense in this day and age because so many people seem dead set against you carrying any tools to that effect. But yes, swords, machetes, you know, the, the, the katanas carried by whichever one of the turtles it is, those are powerful weapons, without a doubt. Now let's look at the staff. The staff is a great weapon uh, because it's so basic. It's just a stick. You don't have to be able to spin it around and look cool to understand the utility of something that you can use to keep people farther away from you. Um, you can generate great power with it as long as your target is at the other end, not somewhere in the middle. You can even use it for, like, you know, bunting, punting type strikes where you, uh, you know, smack with the middle of the staff and push against it. So that's one way you can use the staff up close, although it's not as effective. The game that we play is anybody with a longer weapon needs to keep the target at the outside edge of the weapon where it's most effective. Anybody with a shorter weapon or no weapon needs to get inside the arc of the weapon in order to neutralize where that weapon is most powerful. And in, in that mechanic, uh, you know, within those Venn diagrams of who's trying to do what, there's a lot of interesting interplay when people with different weapons come together. We don't normally see that in life. Uh, it's not the Kung Fu apocalypse and people aren't running around in the streets with martial arts weapons. But you see it in movies sometimes and it's, it's fun for, for discussion and debate. It makes for a fun mental exercise. 
So yes, the staff, really cool. Um, uh, there was a staff forum in the martial art that I got my instructor level rank in, and it was very basic, um, you know, because there was no need for it to be any more complicated than that. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's a great weapon. It's worth learning the basics of how to use a staff because almost anywhere you can find something that corresponds to that. There's a broom or a mop handle just about anywhere and it'll do. So now the Psy, the Psy are a little bit more complicated. Psy are a cool weapon. Most of the ones you buy are basically big lumps of, uh, pot metal. You know, they're not, they're not real nice metal. They're certainly not very sharp or very pointy. Um, you know, they're not sharpened at the tips is what I mean by that. I've even seen some Sai, I think in Fumio Demura's book on the Sai, he had some with actual blades. But the Sai really, in the commercial form that you're going to encounter them, it's a blocking tool and it's also a striking tool. You can poke with it or you can whack with it almost like it's a club. And the heavier ones, they are heavy. They're, they're strong. You know, you can, you can really whack someone with them if you choose. Um, I think if you practice spinning the side out like you're holding a knife and then back so that it's against your arm you have the best of both worlds it's very easy to make that transition you don't um i know there are a lot of people who say it would be insane to try and switch grips in the middle of a fight but maneuvering the side is very basic so if you just train yourself to do it and and then you learn you can you can hit with the handles you can block with the body of the side you can you can whap with it that's a technical term uh, like you're using a club so they make a very good defensive and offensive weapon but they're extremely unwieldy nobody carries them nobody's running around with a pair of psi you know unless you're a really unless you're a weirdo you're not running around with a pair of psi tucked in your belt you're just not there's that that viral video that i've seen of this guy who says he's a security contractor who is wearing like more weapons than Mad Max in Thunderdome. Like he's got a sword and he's got guns and he's got knives and he's got stuff on his back and stuff strapped to his legs and stuff strapped to his arms. And he's wearing a leather overcoat, like blade. Like the guy is so weighed down. He's probably carrying his own body weight and weapons. Uh, and that guy, I could believe, is carrying a pair of Psy. I'd read some articles where they cited his name and what his security company was because he got arrested for, like, allegedly intimidating a general because he went in, I, I think he was trying to secure some kind of a contract or something, but the conversation did not go well, and the general basically said, this guy is threatening me. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think anything really came of that. Like, he's, he's not in jail, I don't think. Um, but again, I don't remember his name. I just remember there was the the picture was floating around the internet a lot previously, and it was a very it was an intensely interesting story to me. I don't know about you, but when I used to re when I used to watch cops, I was always really interested in what weapons actual criminals were carrying. So whenever I see articles about people carrying weapons, I'm always like, well, what was it? So there there was an article in the New York Post about all of these knives that have been confiscated off school kids. Uh, post-COVID when people came back to school, I think was the, the angle of the article. And one of the knives in the picture was a vintage United Cutlery Black Widow boot knife, a knife that has not been manufactured in many, many years. And I was like, well, this kid's carrying a piece of history. I want to meet this kid's parents. Where did he get this knife? The, the Black Widow boot knife was like the unofficial boot knife of my university back in the early 90s. You know, they, but they haven't made that knife in I can't tell you how many years. So that was very interesting to me. But yes, the, the Psy are a very cool weapon. Um, and that brings me to possibly my favorite of the bunch, which are the nunchucks, because nunchucks are very misunderstood. Uh, nunchucks are an extremely powerful weapon. 
uh, people see them as a sight gag. People see them as a punchline, you know, and I think, was it Napoleon Dynamite where he's like, chicks dig nunchuck skills, you know. So people don't think, they, they think of it as a joke. And part of that is because it takes a little time to learn how to wield them with any kind of skill because any flexible weapon is more difficult to learn than just about any other non-flexible weapon because you've got that unpredictable end of things. Well, anyone can tell you the key to hitting with nunchucks, to hitting any target, is to follow through, to pull through so that the end of the nunchuck has time to shed its momentum. I've seen videos online of a dude wailing away on a bob with nunchucks, and he's doing exactly that. He's pulling through on the strike so that the nunchuck doesn't fly back, snap back, and hit him. That's what you do. Well, if you understand how to strike so that you're not basically beating yourself about the head and neck, Nunchucks are superbly powerful because if you hit somebody with a club, you can only hit them as hard as you can stand to hold. What I mean by that is the impact travels down the, the rigid weapon into your hand. So if you're hitting something with a club, you are hitting your own hand to some degree. If you isolate the end of the club with a chain or a cord from the handle, now that impact's not traveling down into your hand. Now the end of the club can move much faster and you can hit much harder. So actually with a pair of nunchucks, it is really easy to just uh, beat someone into not being alive. It's, it's a powerful weapon and people don't realize that. Fortunately, I don't know, because there's a skill involved in learning how to use them, I don't hear of any crime being being committed with nunchucks. You don't hear about it at all. Um, maybe back in the 70s when they first, I can't remember when they first passed the law making them illegal, but it was probably during the 70s, at least here in New York. Um, the thing about nunchucks is they're very easy to make. So it's almost kind of stupid and pointless to pass a law outlawing a weapon that anyone with like a drill, a saw, and some cord could make. They're very easy to construct. And, and, you know, some weapons, like you could say, well, it's it's easy to make, you know, much more complicated machine-based weaponry, but that's dumb and you shouldn't do it because it could blow up and, you know, you could be very badly hurt. Plus, it's wildly illegal. This, though, we're talking about some wood. You drill some holes in some lengths of wood, you attach the cord, you're good to go. It's very easy. So I don't understand why people bother to pass laws against something that anyone could just cobble together themselves inside of 15 minutes. And, yeah, you could take longer, do a really nice job, but you don't really need to. So... That's my that's my brief opinion on the futility of passing laws against various martial arts weapons that are essentially made of wood. <laughs> because wood's really easy to work. Here in New York, uh, they actually passed a law making purpose-built uh, non-metallic knives illegal. So uh, I know Cold Steel tried to get around that. Cold Steel has an entire line of non-metallic knives that they added metal to. They added, like, metal rings. I think Kershaw has one where they added some unnecessary metal grip screws to the handle um, for that very same reason, just so that there's some metal in the mix. There are some knives you buy that have ceramic blades or whatever, and there's metal embedded in the handle. So, you know, you, you don't know for a fact, unless you own a portable metal detector, that any given one of these items is metal-free. You know, and, and I, I know there's been some articles floating around the web about um, uh, carbon fiber can still possibly set off metal detectors. Um, but it, it's a moot point here, because in my state, you cannot own that stuff. Um, I'm surprised to see that, like, non-metallic fishing knives are still on the shelves in Walmart. I thought when they passed that law that those would have 
fallen under the ban, but evidently not because they're intended as fishing knives and not manufactured as weapons. But anything from any of the, the cool cats out there making G10 and other stuff, you know, all kinds of neat knives um, out of G10, can't buy any of that here. It's illegal, um, which is unfortunate because, again, the state just seems to be like, oh, is that cool? Is that something you'd like to have for self-defense? Well, that's too bad. You can't have it. Fortunately, there's still plenty of legal weapons that we can uh, still carry, even in a place like uh, my state, which is nice because we still have more self-defense freedom here than in many, many other countries, especially Canada now and, and the UK especially. Um, so I, I firmly believe that if you respect the right to self-defense, if you believe in the right to self-defense and you believe in the martial arts as a vehicle for self-defense, then you must also acknowledge the viability of weapons because weapons are just tools. They're tools of force multiplication. Like a lever, they make it possible for you to do more with less effort. So your, your weapons, uh, your legal weapons of self-defense must remain legal if self-defense as a right is to have any meaning. You know, it's again, it's like saying, well, yeah, you can have a driver's license, but you can't own a car. <laughs> yeah, cars are illegal. You, you can get that license all day long, but cars are illegal. Um, so I really firmly believe that whether we're talking about the weapons of the Ninja Turtles, you know, the Psy, the Staff, the, the Sword, and, and the uh, Nunchucks, or we're talking about any of the modern weapons of self-defense, regardless of how we came to a place in our lives where we're into that, regardless of how we came to believing in the weapon or getting skill with the weapon or training with it, um, we must, we must allow people to legally carry the tools of self-defense if we are also to acknowledge that we believe in the right to self-defense, that people have the right to defend their own lives. And that's why I got into martial arts. It was the interest in self-defense. No other reason. And I think so many people come to martial arts, not all of them, but so many of them come to it because they want to be able to defend themselves. And if you can't defend yourself and you claim to be a martial artist, you aren't. You're forgetting the martial in martial artist. If you, if you want to ban weapons, if you're against weapons, if you're, you know, if you're for gun control, I'm sorry, you're not a martial artist and you never will be. I don't care if you, you know, you have a black belt and you go wear your uniform and practice every other day or whatever it is you do. If you are jumping around claiming to be a martial artist and you also want to ban weapons, I'm sorry, but you've missed the plot. You're, you're, you're just not, you don't get it. All right, that was a weird, circuitous way of starting with the Ninja Turtles and working my way around to the Second Amendment and my belief in self-defense. I have been Phil Elmore. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast. And until next time, pretend I said something cool here. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash Elmore.